What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room, the official podcast of FilmmakerU.com. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell, and this episode, we're going to be interviewing Jan Miles. Now, a lot of you have seen Jan's work, specifically Andor, which just came out and was quite popular. And we're going to sit down and talk about Andor, as well as Sharper, which is one of his projects. Now, the thing to keep in mind is, as soon as we got on, the two of us just started talking, and it kind of just took off. So there isn't a natural introduction here with a question. We kind of just start. So enjoy that because it kind of caught me off guard and I I didn't want to restart what he was saying because it was really interesting. Now, with all that said, if you're a fan of these interviews, make sure to check out FilmmakerU.com and get 10% off using the promo code THECUTTINGROOM. FilmmakerU.com is where you can get the top people in the industry teaching you their tricks and techniques and how they like to approach their projects. That's FilmmakerU.com. And the promo code is the cutting room, all one word. Now, with all that said, here's my interview with Jan. Um, it, you know, it, it's great. I, I enjoy it. I, I enjoyed Andor the first season very much. You know, yeah. I, can, I thought the, you know, I'm a huge, uh, you know, I have a big fan of Tony Gilroy and his writing and all the people involved. In fact, yeah. you know, everyone, you know, from visual effects to the shoot, to everyone sort of yeah had a, they were entrenched in it. I think, and I guess the truth of it is is. You know, Souls has you know been in many versions in it, many things, and from the Mandalorian all the way back, you know, it's many things. But I guess this, you know, I guess we didn't fully know what we were making, mm-hmm. you know, even though we, it was the structure of it and everything was in place. How that would be, and how that would come out, and how that be received was unknown. And I, I was, I was, I was, you know, I was delighted, really, really quite amazed on how the critics. You know, found it. You know, yeah. Everyone I know who's seen it has said it's the best thing of Star Wars. It's like back to the original sort of storytelling process that, of like, yeah, here's the story within this world. And that's uh, quite that's quite that's quite a bold statement in itself, isn't it? You know, mm-hmm. to say that. I was a, a you know I was a huge fan of the Return of the Jedi and the Empire Strikes, but Empire Strikes Back had a huge effect on me. I was a very young um, boy, you know. Mm-hmm. So when I kind of got asked to come and do this, you know, that Star Wars resonated with me. I've seen all the other Star Wars, and I've and I've I've watched them with my young son. Um, but it was, it was a really, you know, I was pretty taken by the question. But when Andor was received like that, and people say what you're sort of saying, I was like, "Yeah, that's cool. That's pretty yeah. cool." <laughs> that's quite cool. You know, people sort of found that, and if there's a sort of essence of it going back. If there's anything from me, but what have I put a bit of myself into it, then I definitely put the part of myself was that child when I watched those first three. You see what I mean? So somewhere in all that, what you're saying, I can kind of connect to because I, I really, you know, when I was asked, I was like, oh, I love those first three movies. I mean, Empire Strikes Back, I think it was one of those first films where the sort of bad guys win, right? It was sort of like, yeah. I was like, as a child, I was like, is that possible, right? Is this kind of like... <laughs> you're like, the world just crumbles around you. You're like, you mean bad people can win? <laughs> yeah. You know, that, that I don't think as a child I've experienced that. You know, and I guess that's the sort of weight of that suppression and that sort of imperialism, isn't it? You know, and that mm-hmm. as a child, it affects me. So when it comes to do Andor that was sort of stooped in oppression and, and, you know, imperialism and control, all that came back, you know, part of me came back. So... 
and went into that work. So I sort of thank you for the fine words, really. So the the best thing I could say about it is I have a friend who is a huge Star Wars fan and is very upset with all the new stuff. He was happy with it. And so he's yeah. one of those grumpy people who's just like, no, the films aren't making it right. This and he was just like, Oh yeah, it was a really good. <laughs> then I was like, yeah. Oh, it's it's hitting its mark. It's it's getting it right. Yeah, no, that's good. A lot a lot of effort went into that. So that is, you know, that is a that's a that is a good thing, you know. So to say to the words happy connected yeah. to it's a good thing, isn't it? You know, yeah. so um, but I'm sure that you know there's a piece, there's a there's a little bit for everybody. I remember seeing I went to the premiere. Uh, they, did, they did a premiere in Leicester Square on the IMAX of the first three, you know, joined together, and it was amazing on the big screen and stuff. But they invited lots of Star Wars fans, and I, I queued outside Leicester Square with. And there was a gentleman behind me with his son. You know, it was probably about I don't know, ten years old or something. You know, and, and he he was like, "Oh, you know, you're looking forward to watching Andor." And I said, well, "I've kind of seen it." <laughs> And he was like, oh, okay, how? And I went, well, I'm one of the editors. And he was like, oh, that's amazing. He goes, how is it? I go, I sort of looked at him, I looked at his son, I went, it's quite grown up. <laughs> and he was like, oh, okay, that's good. All right, well, we'll look, we'll look forward to that. It was like, I, I don't know, it was, I guess it was the only way I could explain it in such a short space of time. Yeah, and without breaking an NDA. <laughs> yeah. yeah, without breaking an NDA, exactly. It wasn't out there. So, but it was, but he was, um, I managed to bump into him, you know, like in the foyer afterwards. And he came over and he enjoyed it. And his, and his son enjoyed it, you know. So um, it was quite a nice moment. It was that moment where you sort of realised the effect of Star Wars and the, the massive fan base, you know, which is extraordinary, you know. So yeah. Now we're here to talk about Sharper too, though, because you, yeah. and you worked with um, Benjamin, on yeah. Andor, if I'm not mistaken, and then went into Sharper. But you've worked with him a lot uh, yes. when I was going through your two uh, IMDb's. So, like, how did you guys originally meet, and how did this sort of relationship form? We were both. It was the first season of The Crown that Peter Morgan wrote, season one, to a company called Left Bank, which was which was run by a guy called um, Andy Harris, which I um, I'm very fond of. I've done some projects him other projects separately and Ben had done some projects for him separately I was sort of invited in to interview from one of the early episodes I think it was three or four and the, with a different director and he sort of passed he said no I've got someone else sort of someone I've worked with before and I kind of thought that was it and then then I had a call saying an opportunity is coming up for for episode nine which is assassins so meet a different director and I sort of then that's a, so they put me together with Ben and I met him for a cup of tea and he sort of told me that he was possibly going to do an earlier one and it didn't happen so he, he thought he wasn't doing it so we were kind of like already these sort of peas in the pod you know like we all had this conversation of like I wasn't doing it and I wasn't doing it and I was like but we're both doing it and he sort of went do you want to do it and I went yeah I'd love to come do it with you so we sort of that was our kind of starting point we did Assassins which is the episode with Winston Churchill, played by John Lithgow and Graham Sutherland, the painter. And I was pretty, I was really impressed with Ben. You know, he did some fantastic stuff. It was some fantastic performance. I think Lithgow won an Emmy for that performance, I think, in that episode. Or maybe overall, but I think that was probably the defining. Maybe it was good in lots of episodes. But um, yeah, that was kind of our coming together. And we kind of worked together since, you know, it was sort of, it, it was slightly unspoken, but he was like, do you want to do something else? And I've got this happening. And I said, yeah, and we did, we did four seasons of the crown together. 
pretty over a long period of time, a few projects in between. And then that led us to Sharper, you know. He 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 and I talked about film many times. I had some opportunities to do films that I didn't quite certain films I didn't want to sort of do, certain genres I didn't want to do. So I sort of passed and uh, a few times I said no to things to work with Ben instead, you know, and 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 then he called me. So I've just had this, you know, meeting with Apple May 24, and they're quite keen on me doing it. How do you feel about that? And I said, like, yeah, you know, that'd be great. So so I think in a way we've done a lot of television together. We always talked about film. Film always felt made by sort of certain filmmakers, yet we are filmmakers, you know, it's in a different... And television has changed a lot, as you probably know. You know, television sort of become sort of pretty pretty central to the medium, you know. Uh, with the, you know, all the streamers have kind of changed that as well, right? You know, so many films go straight to the streamers and whatnot. But it was... So it, that was pretty cool. To, to the end of that journey, well, not the end, but part of that journey of our relationship with all those shows we've done, made together, when Shot Sharper came along, I kind, I kind of sort of pinched myself a little bit. I know it sounds really crazy, but it was that moment of, I was like, this is an Apple film. Yeah, it's an Apple film. It was A24. It's got Julianne Moore and Sebastian Stanley, cast some good cast, and John Lithgow came back. So that was really the journey. There's a, there's, I've spent probably... Over a, probably nearly like a decade with Ben. It's a long time, you know. I've probably spent more time with him than I have with my wife. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, you know, I've been yeah. in the cup rooms. You know, you live yeah. and breathe in the cup rooms, and so there's there's a lot we know about each other. You know, most of it, and there's a lot of time we spent together. Most, may in parts, just you know, brilliant. But I do admire him as a director. I like his. I like the way he works. He's taught me a lot. He's kind of got a particular style, which I quite like. You know, I've sort of slightly assimilated to him in, in many ways. You know, I have worked with other people in between, but it's, yeah, I always enjoy it. He's always, I quite often, I spend quite a lot of time on set with him. And I like watching the way he works. You know, he's sort of his unpuzzling, his, his sort of breaking down of how he shoots and stuff. You know, and it's, it's sort of slightly, um, you know, it's very different than the cutting rooms. I sort of come away with it with this. You know, if I go to set with him, with sort of like adrenaline, you know, you get adrenaline. It's like this. You can see why they all love it. The, the, the shoot, mm -hmm. not for me, by the way, but it's, but you know, you come away with it sort of quite charged with this huge unit of three hundred people. You know, with it, with the edit, you know, it's like two of us in a room like this with black sheets on the wall. You know, so. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do on set then because are you coming on just to give advice or what's he's, your role uh, yeah he's uh he invites me down sometimes just to go and see him if we talk about a scene maybe a scene that he's shot before and if he wants you know he's asked me sort of how i feel about it and, you know and, and and then other times he's i go just to go and see him just to say hello and then, and then sort of also on top of that ben quite quite often it's like I've got some sort of second unit. I've got some car stuff to do or some drone stuff to do. And he's like, I can't think of anyone better than you to do it. You know, so he sort of said, so bit by bit, he sent me off to do sort of insert shots and, and pickup shots and car shots. And it, that sort of, that's grown quite a bit. So I, I've shot film on Star Wars. I've shot film on, on the crown. I, I shot all the car stuff in New York. You know, he's a, he sort of trusts me. I sort of, cause I know what he wants. He's like, you know, I'll send you off with a small unit and you film those bits 
because you kind of know what I want, you know, you know the way I want it, you know. So I would go and shoot the sort of in New York, all the sort of car stuff when the cars are driving through New York, like the BMW and stuff. I'd shoot that with a sort of super cool action car unit, you know, these New York guys that shoot the sort of Fast and the Furious, you know. And I'm and like, so what are we filming? I'm like, a car like this driving behind it. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, you want to do something really cool with the dynamics. I was like, no, no, Ben just wants a car behind it. That's it. You know, so we sort of, as you could probably see in the photography, it's quite often like that, you know. So um, so that's why he, uh, he takes me to set, because sometimes I help him and sometimes we just talk and chew the fat, I guess, right? Now, I do want to know, because what's interesting to me is in Sharper, we're dealing with a lot of unlikable people. <laughs> and yeah, one of the things is, if we're dealing with unlikable people, we you want to make sure that the people watching it are engaged and connecting to these people. So like when you were working with him on this, what yeah. were the discussions about this to make sure that they're not too unlikable or they're not, you know, they're just unlikable enough, I guess is the question. Well, I guess, yeah. I mean, it depends on what you see as unlikable, isn't it? It's I guess that's the sort of slightly in, in, the, in the eye of the beholder, isn't it? I mean... I guess people that attempt to, you know, con people out of money is sort of unlikable. But I don't, I sort of, this, my take on it is, and this is how I sort of, sort of straddled through the narrative of it is, you know, and I guess in a way, Sandra is a good example of this. For me, it's like they're unlikable people and they get drawn into unlikable things. But deep down, they're coming from a place where there's something in their lives that's, you know, cause and effect. You know, Sandra's obviously on the wrong side of the tracks and she has some drug issues and she's proud and stuff. You know, Max has probably got issues in his past. They're probably like mother issues or something, you know. And it, there are bits in the story that those things pop out and it's kind of like, I think with Sharper is whether you hear those, whether you think you're coming out the voice of the person who's in, conning you or whether actually they're the real person. And that's my biggest question in Sharper. For me... I always believe that these people are the real people. This is just what happens, what they do, you know. So when when do you get to really meet those people? So I guess in your sort of answer to your question in a sort of elaborate way, is I always sort of felt like what was inside them? What's that? Uh, what's in the, when are these moments? When when to sort of hold those little moments? When's that little bit of nuance that hopefully one picks up on that these people are kind of, you know, you say unlikable. But there are things inside them. There's a reason why they're unlikable inside of it, you know. And I sort of think everyone has an answer to that in the sort of film, you know. And and Sandra, sort of being Sandy at the start of the film, goes through all that stuff and cons Tom and gets trained by Max. But by the end of the film, when she when you unravel it, you sort of replay what that experience she had with Tom. And actually, she wasn't underneath. You know, the real Sandy was. Someone who isn't unlikable. She, of course, she's done what she's done, and she's conned him out of that money. But you see the side of it where she was affected by him and sort of fallen for him, you know. Yeah, well, and I really like their relationship. Like the character, the actors really gelled. Yeah, yeah. I think it's like for me, there's a there's a scene. There's a good example. There's a scene. This is in the writing, but you know, I guess also the way I've cut it in the performance. But there's a scene where Tom is insisting to go and have these guys seek down Sandra, right, and find her. 
and then, and she cooks him some dinner. She sort of tries to behave, tries to be mother. She cooks him this dinner that she sort of fakes together, right, from her shopping. And they sit down and have an argument, and she tries to talk him out of it. Obviously, she has to talk him out of it, right, because she doesn't want him to get on the scent of, um, you know, Sandra and go and find her. And then he he sort she sort of tells him off and says, you know, you know, stop being my mother. And she shouts at him, and then she comes out with this brilliant line. I think she says, we're all human, just doing the best we can. For me, that's the real Madeline. That's what I'm trying to say is even when these characters say these things, they they are inside the con, but those lines are real. You know that they that's when they're, they're real people. So, so I think unlikable is a viewpoint in one respect. I mean, of course, you know, you and I would probably no one would like someone to come and con them of money. I understand that. However, I think in all facets of life, right. People are with people that have problems with people, you know, and hurt them. And even in a sort of romantic relationship, someone we've all had our hearts broken, right? In some way, maybe yeah. not over money, but some way in that there is could be money involved, isn't it? Divorce, marriage, you know, all those things. So, in many ways, it's playing on those same ideas. You know, Madeline stays with Richard because she wants that huge security. But at the end of the day, Max says, so, you know you'll break, you'll get found out, you know, you'll get bored. And she does, you know, so the good example of that, she steals the ring, even though she's got the billions, right? Once a thief, always a thief, you know. So I think it's like that. I think so that's, for me, that the balancing act was which just leaning in in moments of where people, was like, is that the real Max? Is that the real Sandra? You know, I think when... When Madeline meets Max in the hotel room, she slapped him yeah, the next day and they kiss, which is a bit of a shock. So you think it's mother and son. Um, you know, she asks him to sort of what's up. He sits there in silence for a little bit before she straddles him. That's for me the real Max. There's some sort of past harm. I think in the burger bar when he's talking to Sandra, he says, I was just making conversations. Do you have a mother? And he says, Yeah, I have a mother. I hate my mother. You know what I mean? That these things are all different threads, I think. You pull at these characters from the past. You know, I think it's quite a lot to take in in Sharper. And I think there's quite a few un, sort of onion layers. And I think, if you, I think if you go into it like a sort of con movie, mm-hmm. the way it's presented, I think you'll just spend the whole time thinking, I can see the con, I'm seeing the cons come, I'm seeing this. And I don't think, for me, it's not that. For me, it's about people wanting to be loved. And the human condition and how we affect one another. And I think we do that on a daily basis in lives, you know, in all of our lives, just not with trying to steal $9 billion. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there is that part of the entertainment of it, of course. I'm not denying that, you know, but there's no guns, there's no bank robbing, there's no violence, you know, it's sort of, there's a sort of, everyone's looking for some kind of redemption, I think, you know? Well, and, and, um, Julianne Moore's characters are falling in love with her, uh, with John Lithgow, right? Yeah. Or deciding to marry him. One of the things that's interesting about this is it comes in vignettes, right? So it's like comes in yeah. blocks specifically focusing on uh, someone. And whenever I think about editing, it's always referred to as the the last rewrite or the last um, sort of uh, rebuild or redo of the script. But in this, we have these vignettes that we sort of have to keep uh, structured especially since there's a lot of reveals depending on where you are you know what changed from the script in the edit suite and what were you able to move things around 
No, the, 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 it's really interesting you say that because the structure, the structure was always in that structure. Tom, Sandra, Max, Madeline. There was never a Sandra card in the script. In the script, they just had names, and, and very soon on, we just inherit. We just, you know, that was that seemed sensible. We just put a name card up. I don't think there was one for. There might have been one for Tom. I can't remember, but. We started to film with Tom and we just put it up and it was a white bit of text on black. And funny enough, that stayed. That was it. There was no sort of, it was glued in there forever. But that structure was always scripted that way because it's sort of in its non-linear nature. Sandra, Sandy, the last bit off the plane, that sort of last wrap up, the sort of how and why, that didn't have a card. But we Ben and I decided in the gut rooms to give it, to give it a card. And we just went, by the time you get to Madeline, Sandy, you're, it's linear. It's all linear. But what we did do it, to go back and put the card on to Sandy is that we replayed the little bit backwards, and she you saw her come off the plane because the plane was leaving at the end of the Madeline reel. You just saw it moving back when she banged on the door of the bathroom. So we just went back a tiny bit in time, you know, like twenty minutes, five minutes, or whatnot. But that still played out in linear. But obviously, real five was obviously lots of different stories on the how and why, so it's pulling from everywhere. And in order to understand kind of lots of narrative in it, and particularly the Sandy Reel at the end, we did never, never in the never in the avid, but we did on whiteboards on the wall, reorder the film back into a linear way with our, with, with characters written on the wall, and there's time jumps in the gaps. You know, it's like. You don't see, you know, we didn't see Madeline get married, did we? We didn't see Richard die, right? So there's these huge gaps in those linear storytelling. And we used to have big gaps between the names. And we used to write lots of, well, imagine lots of the story beats that would happen. Like like thinking what, like like in sort of normal scripts, you sort of think, like someone's backstory, right? You sort of, someone didn't understand where they are in the film. You want to know what their backstory is, even if you don't see it or perform it or write it. So I guess in this, we did that to sort of inform us of the gaps in the linear version would then help us slightly understand how to replay the Sandy reveal in a sort of linear way, but from the non-linear story. I have one last question for you that I'd like to ask everyone in the interview. Uh, and it's just a fun question to wrap things up. And that is, what would you say is your favorite Guilty Pleasure film or TV show to watch? Guilty Pleasure meaning like the show I shouldn't really watch. Yeah, some people take it as like, oh, that's, you know, like I shouldn't watch reality shows and I watch them. And then other people take it as, um, you know, it's Sunday afternoon, you're flipping through the channels and you just stumble upon a movie and you're like, oh, I got to watch this and you'll sit yeah, and watch. I guess if, if I was to say my guilty pleasure would be, strangely, on on, on the on the uh, British TV, we have sort of rerun a lot of stuff on Sundays. And I think if I, if, if I have a couple of glasses of red wine too many on a Sunday and I have some time to myself, my guilty pleasure would be watching back-to-back Columbo in the afternoon. Like, Fantastic. And I think I just, there's something about Columbo I just adore. I think it's sort of that, that actor, I can't remember his name, the, they're all sort of shot in Los Angeles, they're all shot on film and it's a whodunit, right? It's a yeah. whodunit in the sort of world. And he's always in these great places and I just love that character where he's like, one more thing. So I mean, that, that's my guilty pleasure. So I've said it. As if that, 
I've got a soft spot for MasterChef, but that's because I just yes. watch, love to watch people cooking. <laughs> so that's probably second one. What I thought was interesting, I remember talking to the editor of MasterChef and they said when they did MasterChef Kids or Junior or whatever it is, yeah, uh, they realized that it made the chefs that are um, like Gordon Ramsay it gave him like a softer edge and they were like, Oh, we have to like lighten him up in the actual master chef a bit. <laughs> yeah. He's too well, harsh. It made, it made them sort of look like evil villains. Yeah. 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 No, that's so. brilliant. No, no, I, I get it. I just, you know what it is? I, I, I get so as an editor as well, I guess I just love it. The fact they sort of do this cooking thing and then they sort of cut to that sort of, you know, the, the olive oil's dripping down the side of the salmon and, and the voiceover is timed and the music beats timed and it's so it's all so constructive but i'm just so i'm like yeah yeah that, I, it's it's like <laughs> that my british uh tv show is gardener's world it's is just it, so it, relaxing and just it's just yeah. you could yeah that's perfect and it, like you said it's like we're going to always open with the shot of a flower being bumped a little yeah. bit and... well, it knows it knows what it is isn't it yeah. and it knows what it is and it's very good at that and, and, and you know and i think sometimes the people on it are absolutely fascinating you someone mm-hmm. comes on and they're sort of 22 years old and they're cooking like they're sort of like they've cooked their whole entire lives and yeah. that's extraordinary yeah you know, and that's what i i think there's something rewarding and satisfying by that celebration of skill attached yeah. to sort of knowledge attached to sort of the past you know i think that's really extraordinary i mean the other show i watch is atlanta which is not the guilty pleasure but yeah. that's the show that i'm stuck in at the moment which i i really really enjoyed but have you ever there's a, i can't remember the name of the show um yeah but there's one on netflix and they have like um three chefs and they're every seat every episode is the same chefs but they're given yeah. like come up with this crazy idea like um, it'll be like we have to do a wedding you have to create the cake right. what are you going to do and each of them like researches and figures out some kind of crazy thing to do yeah it's really fat like that's the thing is you're watching it like because it always yeah. like it comes down to how does it look and how does it taste yeah. and then like that's sort of the wrap-up and there's no voting people off it's just who made the best <laughs> this week and then next week they do it again and it's really yeah it's a bit it's a bit like making it out of television isn't it? how's it looking yeah. how's it taste it's like yeah. i always sort of you know the analogy of a good hour of television is it's having a really good starter in the main course but not having the dessert right and then it works yeah. really well I mean, she has this over large main course and it's huge sugary dessert it doesn't work right so yeah maybe there's the parallels of master shift is all it's all in there you know yeah i'll have to watch it i'll have to find it on netflix yeah i'll have to i'll have to get the name and pass it along i'm not sure i can take on another cooking program that that would be two guilty pleasures or yes but no but no it's a good question though well thank you so much for letting me interview today thank you very much there's a pleasure to meet you so that was my interview with Jan. I'd like to thank him for allowing me to interview him. I'd also like to thank uh, my producer, Jason Benke, as well as Evan Winch, our sound designer and editor. Remember, you can get 10% off at filmmakeru.com using the promo code, The Cutting Room, all one word. I'm Gordon Burkell. Thanks for listening.